But yeah, cool. We're on. We're live. Right, welcome. This is the Mind of Stigma podcast. This is from the Men's Mind Project, which is our first one and our first pilot episode. Hopefully we get this one right. We shall see. But um, yeah, let me introduce myself. My name's Tom Perry. I'm the founder and director of the Men's Mind Project, which is a community-based company which is tackling men's mental health. We decided to do a podcast as another way to reach guys and girls, really, and talk about the problem in hand, which is obviously mental health, to share our own experiences, and kind of go from there, really. And yeah. We do a lot of talks to schools and out businesses, and um, we kind of just want to ex- expand it a bit. And I was very lucky to be able to team up with the RBLI and get a venue sorted, and uh, where we'll be doing weekly podcasts, hopefully. Yeah, and yeah, just go a bit from there, really. So this is a bit of a mock up today, a bit of an insight to what we want to do, and then after this, we will start doing probably subjects. So we might cover depression, PTSD, panic disorders, stuff like that. And if there's anything you want us to cover, please obviously let us know. But we will be putting this out, and then we will leave comments so people can leave their opinions in there and anything they want to see us cover, like we said. But yeah, that's me really introduced. And uh, my co-host, I'll cool. get him to say a little bit about yourself, and then we'll go from there. Cool. So, uh, yeah, welcome all to the podcast. Um, you know, pleasure to be here. Um, you know, Mind the Stigma um, was an idea, obviously, that Tom came to me with, uh, and I sort of really ran with it as well. So I work for the RBLI. I'm part of the welfare team here, uh, part of something called the Step In Programme. It's uh, a programme that works with... Um, predominantly uh, males and females that have left the military, uh, potentially with complex PTSD, with housing issues, monetary issues, uh, just quite severe um, homelessness potentially as well. So obviously it aligns really nicely with what Tom's doing, what I do. Uh, And this podcast really for me, uh, especially when Tom came to me for something, an outlet for us to both talk about and discuss uh, men's mental health, but just in general, the mental health spectrum um, and and just people's sort of uh, views and opinions uh, and life stories around that mental health. So um, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, uh, the RBLI is a massive sort of uh, organisation for me that really pushes that. Um, obviously, with Tom coming to um, us recently to present, and since then I've gone to, obviously, I've come along to some of your meetings and stuff like that. It's been fantastic. It's great help. Um, but yeah, this is something I really want to push. So obviously throughout the the coming weeks, like you said, Tom, I want to, I want to really look at all the individual subjects, all the different parts of mental health, even medication, you know, whether it be around their help from their doctor, whether it be uh, social stigmas, anything, you know, and I think that's like Tom was saying at the beginning is something that we're both passionate about is getting that message out there of not just what we've gone through, but trying to get other people's message out there who might not have been heard. So that's my point of view on that. So I mean, uh, I mean, that's just kind of what we want to do. We want to give a platform for people to be able to go in and um, you know talk about their own issues. And uh, and sometimes people might be like, well, why would they want it broadcast? But sometimes people just want to talk and they just want people to listen. Yeah. And this is a perfect platform to be able to do that with. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean. Hopefully, the next com- upcoming weeks, you know, will be good and we'll get some good topics. Yeah, 100%. we've got some great guests lined up who want to come in. So yeah. once we can get that sorted out, you know, it's going to be a great. Yeah, I'm ex- I'm excited to see 
I'm excited to see who this can reach and what it can do for other people. And I think that's something else I want to see. Hopefully, if you guys um, bang something in the comments around, you know, your thoughts and feelings about what you heard, what you saw, you know, maybe if you've reached out to someone, like if you've reached out to Tom or myself for help or reached out to other organisations, which we'll mention at the end. Um, and that's the whole point of it. You know, it's signposting. It's about making things and normalising it, you know, normalising men's mental health or just generally helping uh, other people with their mental health. And yeah, I'm really excited for it, man. Yeah, I mean, when I was at work the other day, I was talking mm. about it and um, talking about doing all this. Yeah. And um, someone was saying to me, why would you advertise other organisations when you're an organisation yourself? Yeah. I and mean, like I was saying, really and truthfully, yeah. Tesco's and Asda's are supermarkets, you know. Yeah. You know they're they're, comp they're competing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not competing. We're all going for the same goal, and yeah. the end result is to help people with their mental health. Yeah, yeah. And support 100%. them in any way we can. So why would we want to, you know, keep that to ourselves? And, yeah. and like you say, at the end of this, we'll have a listing of different organisations about East Samaritans Mind and stuff like that. And um, I hope over the next coming weeks as well and months we could probably get people on from new organisations to talk about their organisations as well yeah exactly it's all about helping each other out I think that's it and when you think about uh, this end of, of of the spectrum when we're talking about you know that third sector the charitable sector um, it's all about sharing knowledge you know what I mean it's about sharing experiences what went well what didn't go well you know for yourself being that you know it's a couple of years in now it's doing really well but now looking at what else you can do. And I think it, it, that's what, you know, that's what men's mental health needs and mental health um, sort of services in general need to continually look to just progress and move forward. And I think for yourself, I think that's what you continually want to do. And that's, like I say, it's very much in line with what, you know, myself, the RBLI, you know, the team that I work with always strive to do. So I think, like I said, when you came to me with that idea and you was like, I need a venue, it married up 100% with what we do, but also, you know, how I feel and about even your group and about my own mental health. So, yeah, definitely. But um, what I was going to ask Tom actually is about, like, where where did this initial thought come from? Like, what where did this thought or process come from to start a pod in your, in your sort of... Where does that come from for you? Well, the podcast has been in the back of my mind for quite some time, but... Mm going back a couple of years ago before I started this, which is over a couple of years ago now, Yeah, I was, I would never have thought I would be doing this, any of this, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, if people who know me know that I was very shy, very reserved, you know, I wouldn't only really talk much in yeah. large groups and I certainly wouldn't be going out and doing talks about my mental health. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I had a really, really bad turn just over two years ago and unfortunately it left me basically ill for a very long time. And, you know, I was, panic disorders, I couldn't get out of bed, you know, I couldn't leave the house, you know, my depression was at its height, and I mean, I'm not even going to lie, I mean, the thoughts that were going through my head was unreal, okay. and I just didn't want to be here, and I managed to reach out to the doctors, and, I, you know, reaching out to the doctors was hard as in itself, and mm -hmm. I was really lucky, and I've got to give them a lot of credit, I was seen very, very quickly, I yeah. mean, there was, they told me of about 12 to 13 week wait, within two weeks, I would have my first uh, therapy session. Fantastic. And that was really great, you know, and when I came out the other end of it, and I say come out the other end of it, you know, you never really come out of it, but you no, kind of yeah. learn to deal. And when I came out of it, it got me thinking, you know, why are guys so 
ashamed to speak up and show so scared to approach because it was really hard for me to reach out to the doctors that was hard in itself to reach out and, and talk to a therapist that was really hard you know i had yeah. to tell them things that i've never told anyone yeah just you know and just so they can make heads or tails of what's going on and it's very uh made me very vulnerable hmm. and um and it, yeah it was just made me really kind of like I just didn't know how to go about it. Okay, and then when I came out, like I say, when I came out the other end and I thought, why is this happening? I thought, I'm going to start a Facebook group. Let's see what happens. Started a Facebook group that day. Yeah. Within a, within a day, we had 20 members join. Cool. By the end of the week, we had 200, you know, and Fantastic. it was just, yeah. I was just get advertising it, putting it out and they're putting posts out saying a group for men to come and have a talk, you know, confidential yeah. Chatham house rules, as they say, you know, what, go, yeah. what says in the, goes in the room, stays in the room. Yeah. And and it just went from there. And in the end, I realised there was such a need for it, you know. And I got more passionate about it. And I got more comfortable talking about it myself. Yeah. So do you think um, do you think it's a bit of self-therapy that you've started and it's and it's continual then? So obviously you've got them therapies, you know, for the doctor and that. And then what you're doing now is continually adapting your own therapy, do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I used to say it. I used to say, this is my therapy. You know, yeah. doing this is my therapy. Reaching out to the guys, getting them to reach out to me as well. Mm-hmm. Running the sport group on a Monday. Yeah. Um, going out doing the talks. You know, that's that's a big one for me. I mean, seeing the people's faces, seeing how you can change. I mean, 100%. you've been on the receiving yeah, end yeah, of yeah, one yeah. of the 100%. talks. And yeah. it can be quite powerful with my eyes. And mm-hmm. we don't have a script. You know, like the podcast, we were not, we not going to have a script for the podcast. You know, we just talk and... You know, when you're reading a script, it can sound robotic, you know, and yeah, so yeah. we just kind of want to go off the cuff. And, um, Fantastic. but it's kind of gone stronger and stronger as the years have gone on. We've been going two years now, just touching two years now. Yeah. And the response has been amazing. I mean, you know, we have a lot of guys come forward asking for help. You know, I've a lot of ladies come forward as well asking for advice as well. And, you know, we're happy to help. That's the, that's the one key thing, isn't it? Is that, um, I think obviously, like Tom's saying, it's like it touches on. Like your your main point is that it's around men's mental health for you, like for what you was talking about, and you want to be an advocate for that, and you know it's a big supporter of it. But I also think it's like you said, it's not about staying in your lane. Sometimes you've got to step outside of that. And if you know um, females do approach in relation to their mental health, especially towards your group currently, it's you know it would be a shame not to be able to signpost them individuals to the right people. And I think that's something that I think is the one good thing about the charitable sector is that there isn't because there isn't any profit in it and there isn't a target there's no you know there's no pressure on that individual to do a yes no or the criteria is they can then signpost to the right individuals and and not worry about them not meeting targets and you know unfortunately if you go private or private health cares or stuff like that you potentially might be in the realm of that it's not quite for us and I think that's something where yourself you're, you're almost becoming a another avenue for people to reach out to and obviously that's a stress in itself for you a little bit is is having that do you feel like you have a a weight on your shoulders as well like do you feel like you've created more pressure for yourself or do you think it's a pressure that you like because you feel like you're helping others i think it's a bit of both i mean mm. i'll i'll be honest with you. i mean some days it's I'll, the rewards are so great you know mm. but then there is times where you think cool this is there's a lot going on now you know there's a lot needs to be done yeah and you know there's only a small team of us at work you know like mm-hmm. well we're volunteer we're all volunteer for it yeah and um so sometimes it'll be a bit you know a bit of pressure and you know i don't mind admitting that yeah of course but it's um 
it's the end result that you get from when you help people out and you kind of, of see the way people kind of come out of it and how they get, you know, we've had guys walk in the group who've been on their knees, like yeah. us, you know, and they've literally been on their knees begging for help. And, and now you'll see them, you wouldn't even believe it's the same boat that turned up, yeah. you know. I mean, yeah. I mean, you come to the Monday night group, you've yeah. seen the guys, you know the difference, you know, people can change. Well, yeah, I've seen the, um, you know, and I think that's the point, isn't it? It's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you're... The, your group allows an option which is to talk which actually is one of the it's like the easiest therapy that you could give someone you know, as an option like talking is is such a natural thing in the sense that we to communicate with anyone to do anything you have to be able to talk but when it it revolves a certain subject which in this sense is mental health is that it becomes really difficult for that to become a, a subject matter that people can easily talk about and i think Allowing it to that group where it's, you know, uh, anything goes, whatever's said is said, you know, support can be taken from there and vice versa. It allows them people to delve into a, a discussion point that they would normally not want to discuss with anyone else. Mm. You know, you put them in a room full of strangers and it's weird how men just seem to be able to open up to strangers more than their family and friends because, you know... Um, we don't really judge each other as blokes in that way. It's different. It's a different type of judgment. But when you're around strangers, your judgment sort of, I don't know, it changes. I, I don't seem to judge people in that way. I seem to be able to allow people to to look at me as an individual, especially in your groups, allowed to look at me as an individual and not just as Alex the welfare officer or mm. Alex the you know veteran or whatever it might be. There's not that I don't know most of the people in your group's background work names, half of them as well. You know, it's they're a person and I just let them uh, offload. And it's quite nice because you can then see like the almost truth behind what they're saying, that the actual real true meaning of why they're there comes out rather than I just feel quite low or I've got bad, bad anxiety. It's actually, there's a situation rather than a, a diagnosis as a situation. Can you help me? What's the support out there? And I think that's something that I noticed when I was there. It's actually that people grow as an individual rather than they're dealing with their problem in a real functional way, like real simple way. But they also grow because they're learning a skill again that potentially they just put to the wayside, which is just communication. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see your group grow because when I've, when you came down to the RBLI, it was for me and Maria, who Maria is my colleague, by the way, um, Maria Gallego, um, been working for the RBLI for, God knows how long. She's basically a dinosaur, bless her. Um, she will kill me. <laughs> I love you for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she, uh, nevertheless, is an amazing welfare officer. Found Tom's group on Facebook and just said, Alex, mate, these guys do chats. They do talks, discussions. We need to get them down. It's another option for the lads, um, you know, and for our welfare. You know, we're always looking to work and uh, work with other people. And that was something straight away. She was like, these guys just they want to get involved so i was like yeah cool get them down and it was the biggest it i think it was it had the best reaction to anyone we've ever had in the building you know we've had loads of different people there but the reaction was really raw because you know yourself and malcolm came in and obviously malcolm's someone that we'll mention throughout the podcast and i'm sure throughout time we'll hopefully get him on but the discussion was so raw it hit home really quickly that there's no bullshit you know mm -hmm. this isn't we're not we're not messing about now this is the rawest place you went to, you know, talking about suicide attempts, talking about potential overdoses, talking about self-harm. We're talking about proper blokes, like men, working class men that take into to the lowest point. I think that's 
that's why we got the best reaction. That's why inevitably why then I then showed up that following Monday at your group because I was like, I respect the rawness of that. And that's once again something that I was like to Tom about this podcast is that we need to stick with that. Like that that needs to be how this is. Like I don't want it to be scripted, you know, if it is a subject matter, great. But if not, if someone goes off and starts to talk about their their issues or you know, and it highlights it for someone else, done. That's job done for me. So yeah, I mean it's amazing. It's amazing what your group does and I think you should applaud yourself for where you're at now. And I think more people should start to think about what their impact within their community could do. And I think that's what you did. I think you thought about the wider community before yourself almost. And in doing so, then, you know, you become like a, an advocate for mental health within the community, yeah. which is fantastic. So Yeah, I mean, when we came to do this talk, I remember when Maria got in contact and asked us to come down. Yeah. It was probably the hardest talk I've done. I mean, we've done quite a few now, and this was the hardest one because obviously we were walking in a room full of veterans, you know, mm. and it was an honour to be able to do a talk in front of people who, you know, who served the country yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and have seen things that I probably could never possibly imagine. But so talking of going in and talking about, you know, your, your own issues of mental health and yeah. that, you, you know, you kind of think, well, these guys have probably seen some worse things than I've ever seen or gone through some bad yeah. things than I have, you know. So it's kind of a bit, you know, daunting, really. 100%. But then the response you get from the from the gentleman and the ladies, you know, we had ladies in there as well, yeah, and it's, yeah. it's amazing because you can really see you're touching, you, you kind of like touch people's hearts with your story. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we also had one guy in the, also we won't mention names, but yeah. one guy in the group who emailed me a real nice email, basically saying that you know it made him realise that he, you know, he maybe he needs to get help. Yeah. And he had, and he went out and he got help, and he, I think yeah. he was having therapy and that. Yeah. And he reached out and. We've had it before where people have come forward and said they've spoke to their wives or their other arse and, yeah. you know, could, after they've been to our, one of our talks because it's kind of given them the confidence to go forward. Well, and I think that's the big thing, really, is giving people the confidence to talk to their families and friends yeah. and being the voice, you know, giving them that voice so they can go out and talk. I think um, th- that's exactly that, Tom, is that it's it's enabling someone to... To, to or giving them an idea and letting them run with it you know whether that be come to the group and discuss it there or actually uh, a ping like that little light bulb moment where you just go oh shit it's <laughs> everything's hit the fan now mm. but you've now like initiated it for me you've said this is happening i need to do something about it now like you know tom's managed to sort it out or is still sorting out it's not perfect it's not quite right yet it's still struggling but it's all right to actually struggle, but I need help struggling. You know what I mean? If someone's hand-holding me a little bit, that's great. Or, you know what I mean, signposting me good. But I think that's that's like the most important thing, isn't it? It's just allowing and showing someone that it's all right. It's okay. With that whole phrase, it's okay not to be okay, is exactly that. It's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to not get any help with that. You know what I mean? I think you'll be doing yourself a massive disjustice. Uh, and that's what you guys were kind of talking about to me is, you're going to do yourself a massive disjustice if you don't even try to try to fix it or try to analyze it in a way where you normalize it you know you might not ever get better and you know you was very honest to say you know weeks before that conversation at the rbli was you know i had had another attempt you know um yeah i failed attempt at that but either way it was in there it was implanted still it's still something you're battling with and playing with and i think um that was a really strong point for us because it once again normalized it 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 raised that awareness that you are even though you're trying doesn't mean that you can't fail still if that makes sense and it's not a failure it's a it's just a working point isn't it something it's a point for you to start and finish but you know you're never going to get to the finish very quickly you might just keep 
going back and forwards to the start and keep going. I think it's just like it's like test and adjust, isn't it? So yeah, I mean, a lot of people when they're obviously in that mm. in that bad place, they they don't think they've got nowhere to go. They've got nowhere to turn to. They think they're the only ones going through it. And I think a lot of things when you do talks or you do stuff like this and they listen to it and they realise, oh, wow, I ain't the only one suffering. Yeah, we might not be suffering with exactly the same things, but we're suffering along yeah. the same lines of stuff. And I think that's kind of like a big thing for blokes as well. Mm. I mean, it's just kind of like to know that they're not alone. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, there is a stigma behind men's, men's mental health. Massive, yeah. Of you know, and it's all about that macho image. And the thing is, like I always say, you could be the hardest bastard in the room. You know yeah. what I mean? You really can. You could be able to fight any bloke that walks in that door, but you still be suffering. You know, oh, and massive. I think that's, a, that's the thing to let people know is mm. just because you're suffering doesn't mean you're weak. You know, yeah. I mean, in fact, I think if someone's suffering, it shows a lot of strength to be able to kind of like continue with it. Yeah, you know, and I mean, it's some. People could be in some dark places with it. I mean, yeah. I've been there myself. You know, I don't mind admitting. I mean, now, mm. but I mean, back I mean, years ago, I never would have spoke about my issues. I mean, right. I've been suffering my mental health 16, 17 years. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. I mean, my first attempt of my life was when I was sixteen year old. You know, yeah. And what was what what brought that into I mean, play? Then? Trying to think about it, really. I mean, because that's a real that for me that and that's actually a key point age wise, isn't it? Sixteen. So, sixteen, you, puberty's really hit home now. Like socially, you're trying to adapt yourself to fit in, which obviously nowadays is like it's gone right up there. Um, but sixteen's a prominent age, isn't it? It's where you start to become the person that you probably are gonna continue to be potentially or the characteristics might stay the same now so you're building your characters firming up a little bit now so yeah where did that so going back to that then where did that start in your head like what what was the idea what what triggered that or do you know what the trigger was i mean like i said i've suffered such a long time with it i mean but i'll, I'll probably looking back at it, i'll probably can pinpoint the time when my mental health started deteriorating when i was a kid i mean I remember I I lost my nan, you know, my great my great nan, should I say, years yeah. ago. And um that was a kind of like a trigger point for me, I think. From that moment on, moment health deteriorated after that. And, you know, I'm not saying that was the main cause of it, you know, I probably had it coming, but I think that really kick started it off. Yeah. And when I was obviously you're saying sixteen and I I attempted to take my own life, yeah. I was, you know, my mum and dad didn't even know. But my dad didn't found out. I mean, my dad's passed away now, bless him. Yeah. But my dad didn't found out. My mum only found out a few months ago when I did a talk at her college. Wow. You know, and I had to obviously, I yeah, want to be truthful tough. to the guys that I'm talk, doing a talk to, mm. you know, and the girls as well. And so I, you know, I said about it, but I pre warned her. I said, You're going to hear some things that you ain't never, you you never known, you know. So just try to bear that in mind. That's so raw, though. And, That's brave for you to come out in front of. And that's one that it just highlights again, doesn't it? That you can talk to random people and tell them like the darkest thing that's ever happened to you at a young, but not your mum, you know. And I think it's, it's a, I think it's a family thing. I mean, yeah. my mum, you know, she, like I said, I said I pre warned her. I said that you're going to hear some things that you've never known, but just yeah. please, you know, bear in mind that it's hard to talk about it. But I am talking about it now. Yeah. And um, so I, I, you know, so I said about you know being sixteen, being in Maidstone, where it was standing on the bridge. You yeah. know, I mean, it was it was late at night. I mean, I couldn't even remember what time it was. I remember it being late. It was dark. So, mm. it, you know, and um, I could remember that she's standing on the bridge and leaning over and looking down at the floor, or well, the river, shall I say, because yeah. it's over the river. 
and um, thinking that's all I had was literally a vision of hitting that hitting that water and it kind of all going blank. Yeah. But the only the only reason it, the only thing that stopped me was the fact that two ladies asked me if I was okay. They literally didn't react to the fact that there was some boy leaning over the bridge. They <laughs> basically just said to me, "Are you okay?" Yeah. And I'm like. Uh, back yeah, well, yeah, yeah, okay. And I remember kind of being a bit stunned and a bit kind of like, oh, I mean, I was a shy kid even back then. I mean, I was a shy kid, and mm. so talking was hard for me anyway. So I'm yeah. like, uh, yeah, yeah. And then I, all I remember is talking to these ladies, and then I can't remember at that point, but at, at one moment I was at the other end of that railing, I was on their side, okay. and and they never mentioned the fact that I was standing on that bridge. They never mentioned. I mean, they were, I think I was obviously going clubbing, you know, dressed up to the nines. Yeah. I mean, they must have not been no older than, you know, 20 years old or something like that. Hmm. And um, they just spoke to me, you know, and they just said, you know, I think all right. And I literally, I can't remember how long I was with them for, but I can remember that it was just somebody there listening to me was kind of a big relief for me. Yeah. I mean, I feeling ashamed to talk to them. I mean, and it was... Very powerful for me, and it, it kind of put me back into perspective. I went home, you know, walked back indoors, said hello to my mum and dad, had my dinner, went to bed, but never spoke about it again. Do, thinking of on that point, like obviously, I don't want to drag into, I don't want to drag too much up because I just think like sometimes there's going to be like loads of points throughout the the, the series of, of of pods that we're going to do, where obviously Tom's going to speak about is. Uh, his mental health and stuff it's gone through and same with me as well and I mean god there's enough there to do about 30 different series and you know make a spin-off as well um but either way I think it's I want to kind of like so did you feel like the knock-on effect of of that not saying anything at the beginning like just thinking about what we're trying to achieve here do you think that you not saying anything in initially at the beginning has had a profound knock-on effect to to where, where your mental health is at now. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the big thing is, it's a build-up. It's a pressure cooker. You know, you bottle things up, you'll build up, build up, build up. Yeah. So eventually, you're going to go pop. Yeah. You know, and um, and that's exactly what it was. I mean, like I saying, when I was younger, after that, mm. I can remember feeling kind of like really light, you yeah. know, kind of thing that like I spoke about it. And don't get me wrong, after that point, I went back to my old ways. I didn't talk about anything. I mean, I was a major sufferer of anxiety. I mean, mm. I was a kid that always get really nervous in public, um, really nervous doing new things. I was scared of my own shadow. Yeah. You know, and um, so anxiety was a big part of my life. And then depression kind of come hand in hand with that. I mean, yeah. and it was really horrible because you you have a fighting battle, you have anxiety, anger, depression, and they're fighting because anxiety, you know, you don't want to be on your own. You know, you're yeah. scared to be on your own. You're scared to be, on, you know, left. But then with depression, you're, you don't want to be around no one. No. So you're basically can't, constantly fighting that urge. And it's like you, literally you put, being pushed and pulled from pillow to post. And, you know, and it, it, was, it was really tough. I mean, through school years and that, you know, the anxiety was unreal, you know, and yeah. I, really, I really, really suffered. And um, but as, as I got older, you know, I went really kind of through a really good point mm. where my life kind of seemed to really kind of straighten out. I went on antidepressants from the doctor what like, age? What age was that started? I started that interesting by I think I was sixteen, seventeen wow. when I started, and I remember I went on antidepressants, and life just seemed 
okay you know i was going through life and then it got to a point where i realized that i was a zombie kind of thing i felt like i was a zombie looking back yeah. at things i really had no enjoyment in things you know i was always tired i was always groggy i'm sure there's plenty of people out there that felt that way as well because i know myself being medicated um you just become a bit of a you become a walking dead situation some for some people anyway and i know that's probably one of the things when we cover that medication side of things that's one of them things that i'm sitting there going that's a really good point because so many people are scared to go on medication for the simple fact that they're like i don't want to become a zombie and that's literally everyone says the same line and so I mean, yeah. Sorry, mate. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, and I mean, and it all felt zombified. I remember coming off tablets. I remember my, my dad and my mum saying to me, you know, shouldn't just come off them, but I did, and I went cold turkey, and yeah. oh, and, it, and I did have a bit of a yeah. relapse, but then I was managing it out the other side of it, and I thought, yeah, life's great. You know, I'm not yeah. on tablets. I felt a bit more awake, and you know, and it is just generally been, and it was generally kind of a bit of it seemed plain sailing. Yeah, 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 and. And then I remember kind of going through real good patches. I mean, I had some rough patches and then real, real good patches. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, when my old man um, got ill, yeah, it was really hard for me. You know, really hard to me to kind of like to like stay strong because obviously I was showing being strong for him. I mean, my dad unfortunately got a, a, a lung disease, um, COPD, and he was diagnosed with it. And um, I think he he. I think it's about ten years from diagnosis to when he passed. Mm. But I can remember the fear of when he was diagnosed because we didn't yeah. know what it was. But the thing is, he was still working at the time. You know, he was really healthy, really fit and healthy. You know, and he and he was like my role model. Yeah, because he was still working, he was still going out, and he was still doing things, still running around with us kids. You know, at the time, and then I can remember throughout the years, obviously, he progressively got worse, and then I think it was few years before he passed away for about five years yeah. he um just started getting really away he couldn't work so much because he started getting breathless and and then i really noticed a change in him yeah and yeah and then he yeah he got he got progressively worse progressively worse and i mean and that was a really hard point for me because i was remember being strong for my, for my brother and my sister and obviously my mum as well and it was a really hard time for us all really but in my mind, I kind of blocked it to the point where I s tried to switch off where I, yeah, he's ill, but he's not going nowhere. You know what I mean? And yeah, I kind of, of like try to live life normally, you know, go around and see him when I could and that. And eventually he got worse and worse. And then he ended up up in, in the RBI in Gavinessa. Oh, and um, that was his final place where he went to. Yeah. And he was there for, oh, I'm not, I can't, I can't even remember how long he was there for, but he was there for not very long. And um, unfortunately, you know, we got a phone call saying that it's not going to be much time. We went up there, and unfortunately, he did pass away. Yeah. And but the thing, thing with it, that was my set-off point for when my mental health really started getting worse. Mm -hmm. Because from that point onwards, I bottled everything up. I didn't really cry. I cried when obviously the day he passed. I cried. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I don't mind admitting. But then after that, I didn't really cry. I, I think I could even remember at his funeral not really crying to what I've how I would have imagined myself to cry, you know, I yeah, mean, I lost yeah. my dad for Christ's sake. And, you know, and <laughs> yeah. I can remember being like shaking at the start, walking down, walking his coffin down on my shoulder with my brother and my cousin and his brother. Mm. And I can remember kind of walking down and shaking and, and my wife, I remember hearing my wife's voice saying, 
you know, oh, he's uh, he's shaking, he's shaking. Like, should she get really upset? And I remember yeah. being uh, sad, but not really crying that much. And then, obviously, life went life went on. Unfortunately, people got to move forward. And I remember, I think I just bottled it up because I think it was five years later, I got my mum a wedding present. It was a wedding video converted into a DVD. Oh, God. And I sat yeah. and watched it before I gave it to her for Christmas because I thought, I just want to see it, see how much people's yeah, changed. Yeah, of course. And the thing with it was, there were so many people in that video who are not around today. And then, obviously, I see my old man coming as well. And I looked and I heard his voice. And that was the first, first time I heard his voice in all them years. Yeah. And, yeah, and I remembered true, it yeah. again, you know, because I, in part of my mind, I kind of forgot what he sounded like. And I remember hearing it and I was so happy to hear his voice again. Yeah. I was so chuffed. I remember my boy was there, my eldest, and we're saying, look, that's granddad, that is granddad. You know, and he was only very young when he passed yeah. away. And I remember hearing, I thought, oh, great. And then my missus went off to work. She was working nights at the time. And yeah. my boy went to bed. And I, I literally remember I was sitting there. And the next thing I know, I, I was on the floor. And, I was, and that was the triggering point of where my mental health really started to get bad. I mean, I was on the floor. I couldn't leave the house. Ended up getting the ambulance called out. Ended up going okay. to A&E, getting... To, because I thought I was having a heart attack. My anxiety was through the roof. Yeah. You know, and it, and it was all because I kind of like didn't speak when I was feeling a bit down, didn't kind of like talk about my emotions as such. And I bottled up. My wife didn't know what was going on. Now, she didn't know I was suffering half as bad. I mean, when this all came out, she would never know that after things, you know. And she was so shocked that I was going through this on my own and not spoke about it. Do you think... Um... When you think about that then, like now, obviously I know you're in a better place now. Like so when you think about the fact that your missus was so surprised that, that like going through the times you've had with the group so far and obviously all your experience yourself, do you is this a common thing you see as well? Do you see a lot of blokes that have relationships? And I mean there'll be plenty of people hopefully that comment that will talk about this, is that will say actually that's my relationship, you know, even if, you know, the, the ladies and other blokes that come on and say, actually, that's my partner. You know, my partner bottled it up for years. You know, when I knew about it, it was when I knew about it, you know, when I had to pick them up off the floor or cut them down or, you know. I mean, that's, that's a lot. That's 90% of people I speak to, that is generally the kind of story. The other half don't really know a lot what's going on. You know, they're scared to talk to the other half. Yeah. We basically kind of help them to get that to help them talk to their yeah. you know, let yeah. them know we've been there. I mean, like I say, my wife now, she understands me. She, she doesn't, you know, she will admit, she doesn't understand the mental health side to some point. She doesn't, she, she finds it hard to understand how I get into such a state like I can do. Yeah. But she understands me now. She knows that if I'm suffering, there must be a really good must reason. Be something, and, yeah. and she knows to, you know, kind of like support me the best yeah. she can. And she doesn't judge me for it. I mean, but it's kind of like, Getting people's understanding of mental health, getting understanding, you know. That that's the next thing, isn't it? It's kind of like, and I've felt this myself. Is that you know, I've I've got a reasonably new partner. We've been together. Well, I say we're reasonably new partner. She'll probably kill me as well. Uh, you know, over over a year. Not in the next podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah, uh, they'll just put a cardboard cut out of me, and it'll just say dead. Um, but yeah, so over a year, um, both suffered mental health wise, but still don't understand each other's mental health. And this is why it's quite, it's such an interesting thing because it's not about, it's not about understanding the, 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 the tag of, say for instance, if you're, you have an anxiety disorder or, you know, you've got what X, Y, and Z, it's not about understanding that. It's understanding the per, your person and then how they react and then 
almost sort of identifying the situations that you're putting them in as well. Because, you know, you go out with your family and friends, and this is what I find is that, you know, and, and last night was a great example. Went out, um, we was at a quiz night that we always go to most Thursdays, but it gets to a point where I think I've bottled my anxiety to about three quarters away of a bucket. And I'm like, yeah, cool, I've, I've got this on cap. And then it won't be anything that happens, but it could be a change in temperature, could be something someone said, it could be anything, and it just starts to rise, and then I feel myself panic. And then my missus will kind of look at me and know that something's wrong. Like, And it, the problem is with me, it kind of comes out in a multitude of mixed emotions. You know, it doesn't come out as like anxiety, you know, having a meltdown on the floor. It looks like stressed, angry, um, fidgety, and, and, and it's such a weird thing to... That's why I say there's not one size fits all. If you say you you have anxiety, the same thing as me. Our anxieties could look completely different, same as the people the other end of it. It's just this is why it's about if you have a partner or you, your friends suffer. It's it's about identifying what makes them them. That's what I, like what makes their anxiety different to your anxieties, and and then just the the, the coping strategies, you know. Um, and definitely for you with your missus, like you said, and then we've discussed this before. Is, it's, you grow it's like a change in relationship completely changed isn't it it's, you know and I think being that I've been quite lucky being that it's a new relationship that I can form that side of me and be very honest but previous relationships and uh, family and friends I find it really difficult to and now I'm getting better but I found it really difficult because I thought I, I, I stood for and still stand for that very manly-esque type lifestyle and being quite a strong individual you know that whole men don't cry situation I think it's so poisonous you know it really has destroyed my my perception of other people's mental health as well you know I wasn't a massive advocate for mental health for years didn't believe in it didn't trust it didn't like medication and then then when it hit me like a sack of shit then I was like oh crap I was like this is now this is serious like and then weirdly enough started to identify with other people and was they were like oh look we're, we're similar like and and it was it, it's such a weird thing isn't it mental health so it hits you in such weird ways that trying to explain it is, is just it would take years you know years and years and years and sitting still with someone so sometimes it's about recognizing the little movements the triggers the changing behaviors the mood swings you know and that's where especially if you've got a partner and this is where like hopefully people watch this podcast and go i i actually i recognize that in my partner you know that's something that i i see and actually maybe they haven't come forward as as feeling that way but maybe they might ask that question of them you know and i think it's just about our, it's actually just communication that's key when this in the situation so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm happy just to, just to, just continually communicate through us as well, and for you guys, the other end is that we are just here to signpost about signs, symptoms, um, organisations, whatever it might be, to to get the word out. So yeah, I mean, I'm that's I'm, I'm a massive, I'm a massive supporter of what um, you guys are doing, um, especially anyone that sort of listens into this podcast. I'm a massive supporter of anything you're doing to try and better yourself, whether it be just sitting and listening to this, talking, coming to Tom's meetings, 
you know, reaching out to me and Tom, um, or even the wizard who sits the other side of this camera. Well, we haven't actually mentioned the wizard. No, yet. we should mention and the wizard. It's, it's, no, he we're a team real. of three, really. It's, it's, you see us two here, but yeah. someone behind the camera as well. But we'll talk about him up in the upcoming weeks. He was far too good looking, basically, to put on this side of the camera. I didn't, I felt my anxiety was getting bad. And I mean, I'm going to make a joke about my anxiety. Um, but right. yeah, I just I think um I think we'll wrap up now. Yeah. Um, I'll say, anybody want us to cover any subjects? You know, please leave it in the comments when we post it on social media. Thank yeah, you for man. listening. Um, like I say, I'm Tom Perry, and yeah. this is Alex. Cheers. Cheers, thank you.